Hey everybody, welcome back to the Edge and Flow podcast. I'm TJ Schwartz. I'm here with Lucas Burnley. Today we're talking about knife bevels. So the actual part of the blade that tapers down to the edge and it's the crux of the knife maker of the knife manufacturer of anyone kind of who, just knives, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a blade exactly. Grind. Like, if you take, we talked about it before. If you take a CAD file or a design to a, a CNC facility manufacturer and you ask them to make it, they'll, if they tell you they can do it all, including the bevel, they're probably they lying. Will. Yeah, yeah, they just don't probably, know. I don't think it's intentionally yeah. lying. I yeah. just think they, they, they see a shape and they're like, we can do that shape. Yep. Yep. But there's the nuance in a knife bevel is, is profound. And, uh, yeah, we want to talk about it today. All right. This is exciting. We get to talk about it in like two different standpoints too, like manufacturing side, like handmade side and kind of everything in between. Right. Mm -hmm. Did you have, did you have kind of a direction that you wanted to go as like, I mean, we're not talking about like grind functions, right. Mm -hmm. We're talking about like how to achieve this or yeah, how, different how to ways execute, they are achieved. Make, manufacture, uh, from the standpoint of the maker, how do you accomplish that shape cleanly? Not necessarily right. w- what's the purpose of it or, you know, in the field, what's the best shape or whatever. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about making it, grinding it, milling it, whatever it takes. Totally. I like to think of it as an any means necessary operation. Um, there's a lot of thought around like freehand grinding, grinding with fixtures, grinding on a mill, like all like everybody kind of has an opinion. And like my opinion for what it's worth is that like you should just do what works for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, um, it's interesting because it's like when I came into the industry, there was a ton of and this was 10 years ago for perspective. There was a ton of people that was it was like a divide between freehand and jig grinding. So totally. both of these grinding applications were on a belt grinder. So we should be specific Makes about this. Distinctions, yeah. Most of the time when you make a bevel in a one-man shop or a custom shop, you have a belt grinder, which is a usually two-inch wide belt, 72 inches long. So a big loop goes around a couple of pulleys and across either a wheel or a flat surface and various grits. You spin that thing you grind the bevel. Um, so right. that's like your most generic making a bevel way of doing it. And uh, some people hold it freehand where it's like they're not using a guide. They're just eyeballing it. So it's like you can just feel the belt and actually put a bevel on it, which is an amazing skill. But then, like I said, 10 years ago, there was people who also would set up like a work rest and have an adjustable angle plate fixture of some kind where it's being held at a consistent angle. And so the they're still using some feel, but the angle is mechanically confined, I guess is the It's the Confined is actually a really good way to look at that type of fixturing. So there's also, there's a bunch of kind of variations in between, right? Yeah. So like yep. you have people that grind freehand and like they use one hand and then they are resting a blade on like a finger and a thumb. Yep. And then you have, like I use a push stick when I'm freehand grinding that keeps me from burning my like blade support hand, um, Mm -hmm. gives me the same amount of control. Um, I keep my thumb on the blade, but not my finger. It just is like, it is a little bit of support. Right. And there's other things that people have done. Like, um, like there's these work rests that almost look like something that you would grind a, like a chisel on or something where it's like a round Mm -hmm. bar. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the beauty and, of freehand grinding in general, like if there is right is okay. There's a, there's a skill to it. This is actually less important to me than the flexibility that it gives you. So there are certain grind types. Like if you're doing like a compound recurve hollow grind, mm-hmm. like something that is essentially shaped like an S mm-hmm. that is very hard to fixture grind. Yeah, exactly. It, it requires right? uh, degrees of motion that, if it's that unconstrained that you can right. make that motion, then it's not on a jig. Right. And <laughs> so I'm sure like, that somebody out there like either has fixtured for that or, or could like, I've thought mm-hmm. about it where you have like, it's like a, you have a, an articulating fixture that has some type of some kind of bearings in it or something like pivot and slide to where you're actually able to create like this really organic shape. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just do it freehand. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, exactly. And it seems like 10 years ago when I first came in, there was, there was that division of like, if you use a jig, you're one type. And if you use a, you go freehand, you're another type. And there was like right. a lot of heat and friction and like argument in the knife scene about that. So ridiculous. It, it's do you from, think it's and generally it's from hobbyists. That's the right. thing. Those right. type of thoughts are generally from someone who is newer or is not doing this as their profession, right? Mm -hmm. To have that type of opinion, they're exceptions to the rule. And I say this because for about the first five or six years I was making knives, I would use the fact that I freehand ground without fixtures as a, like a show topic of conversation with customers. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. they're all freehand ground. Cause I was doing these wild curvy grinds and I was really proud of them. Mm-hmm. you move forward from that. And I realized I was like, Hey, this is actually not something that I feel like I should, I don't know, like, like present as like a superiority because other people are doing beautiful work and grinding with fixtures. And I was like, how do, how can I like frame this in a way that's not like creating a negative for the way that someone else works. And now I have a very different view on it because I experimented with fixtures and I saw kind of like, what they were, how they functioned, where they fit in my work. Um, mm-hmm. and the fact that they are essentially still freehand grinding, um, mm-hmm. in, in some ways. Yeah. And, and I guess I, I should say this, like Luke here, Lucas Burnley is the 10,000 hours of freehand grinding type guy <laughs> compared to me who I've probably freehand ground maybe 50 knives in my life. Um, and so that's, I don't have the free hand grinding skill. I can do it, but the repeatability is not there for me. And I've done the jig grinding and then other processes down the road that we'll, we'll continue to, to move towards and talk about in this conversation. Right. But, uh, but you're the expert on the freehand grinding <laughs> in, in my book. So, um, well, it's fun. Cause I've, I've gotten to be on both sides of that conversation. Um, and I had, when I, when I was first making knives, I was very, very proud of the fact that I freehand ground. I was also, yeah, I was also in my early twenties. And as you kind of move through your career, you see that longevity is something that if you love your craft and want to be involved in it for a long time, creating systems that are maintainable as your physical ability changes there's a huge amount of value in that. Um, the first time that I ever was exposed to fixture grinding was working in Bob Terzuola's shop. 
and I saw the power and like the consistency of that process. And I was just like, okay, like I saw how he did it and like how it was still controlled by his hands and how the motions are essentially the same. But I, I also saw like where in that process there's limitations. Like if you have a fairly straight blade, if you have a certain shaped shoulder, but that I think is where I, I said any means necessary, mm-hmm. figuring out the process that gets you to the work that you want, right? The yep. end result is, is to me what is like right. the authentic, impressive component. The, of blade, the end right? product is king. It's, it's the like, end product. what, what yeah. is, what is the result? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I agree with that. Yeah. And so I guess, I guess we can zoom back out and go, what if we take like a almost granular approach to knife bevels, starting with like the simplest way you could possibly do one yep. all the way up to like the highest tech, most automated known ways that we are aware of. Sure. Um, I was thinking that'd be a cool way to frame like a, this conversation, I guess. So we talked about the two by 72, which is, yep. I would say one step above the file. So the, the file, it would be probably the first, is there other steps? I think there could be some other steps. Okay. Okay. Let's go into that. But but let's go to the file. File. Step one file. That's like, if you have $50 and you want to make your first knife and you're not going to buy a $1,500 to $3,000 grinder, a file. So a piece of soft steel, annealed, not heat treated, a hard file of some description and go into town with a file. Yep. Which is still like, if you look at Wolfgang Lochner's work, he shapes everything with files and you would look at it and it will blow your mind because they're these amazing kind of almost architectural, like fluted polished details, Hmm. um, that would be insanely time consuming, Hmm. just a basic bevel. Like I think actually, if you go back like to, how to make knives by Loveless and Barney, which is a fantastic book. They have like a whole section on like, here's how you do a hunting knife with a file. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. So there were people that were making a living by making knives with files. And then there's also the in, conversation in the of freehand age. filing versus jig. Oh. Filing. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to apply to almost all these, but the, the, there's a way right. that I've seen, there's a guy on YouTube, Goff Custom, G-O-U-G-H, and he has some mm-hmm. awesome tutorial videos, and he has a file jig that he made out of like two by fours and like a big eye bolt. And so oh, he uses this that. eye bolt and like a guide rod, and so you can do a file bevel that's actually really repeatable and really clean. It's the right. same concept as like most knife sharpeners that a lot of people use is the guide rod and whatnot. Right. Um, Basically, you're you're able to maintain a consistent angle. Mm-hmm. One, one interesting, just to like touch back on fixture grinding, one interesting benefit of fixture grinding is that you can use a different belt progression Mm, than you can if you're freehand grinding because it's more controlled. I wonder if the true would, if the same would be true for files because you're essentially following the same path repeatedly. If you can, Mm -hmm. if your polishing process can like be made more efficient with a, I bet, I bet it would. If you went from from a like coarse file down to like a like a CBN yeah. sanding Something almost like type that. file, yeah. yeah, where you're removing yeah. you're removing the file marks, but yeah. you're doing it in such a way that every pass is hitting in the same exact spot. Yeah, yeah. No, that's oh, that's got to be that's got to be a way to do it. Yeah, I'm not familiar. I've never filed a bevel. Um, I can. I've, I think I everyone could, should do it. 
I think it'd be cool. Honestly, yeah. I, I kind of want to try it someday just for the fun of it. Yeah. Um, but okay. So tell me after a file, what is the, what's the next way you could imagine doing it? I think, I think for, if we're doing kind of like this bird's eye view of, of knives, I think probably there's a lot of knives that have been made on like a stone bench grinder. Mm, yeah. I see what you're saying. Right. A stone wheel on a stone wheel generic yeah. bench grinder in yeah. like your, anybody's grandfather probably has one on their workbench. A wire wheel on one side in their and garage, a stone on the wire wheel side. on one. Yep. Take rust yeah. off of, of like lawnmower blades and then sharpen stuff or yeah. like grind well to rusty I think piece, a lot of piece of metal. Would, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that would be, well, and the interesting thing is that each of these I think has an area in history where they were actually the preferred method. So Mm -hmm. you have, you have a time period where I think files and scrapers. So like the Japanese use a tool, I think it's called a Sen. Um, Mm -hmm. It's almost like a, like kind of like a draw knife made of steel and they, they can, they can use that on bevels, but they also use stone grinding wheels. Um, The French use stone grinding wheels. They use stone grinding wheels Mm -hmm. in, um, what now I'm going to completely like space on the, the name in England. Um, um, on, yeah. no, you're not, you're talking about England. No, no. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Like the traditional, like where all the slip joints kept, were coming oh, out of around yeah. like the turn of the century. No, Sheffield, I can't remember that. Right. Sheffield, yep. So like Sheffield. Mm-hmm. So those were, those were stone grinding wheels. Yeah. Right. Maybe it was you that told me, someone told me this, those big stone grinding wheels. I, I've seen pictures where they have ones that are like six feet in diameter. Oh yeah. And they're like, it, you're like on the second story grinding yep. on a wheel that's on, below you. Yep. Um, and it turned by I, water a lot of times. Yeah, so they'd be on the river. Yeah. And I've heard also that like it is in a water bath. So as it's yep. circulating, you've got water, like water falling over the top. Yep. And I've heard that in those factories, they had to have them turning 24 7, 365, because if they sit still, only the bottom gets waterlogged because oh. they're porous. And then they will not turn. Like you can't get it to start turning again after one side is waterlogged and the other half is dry. Right. And so like back in the day, they would have to run those things a hundred percent duty cycle all the time, even at night when no one's there so that they don't get stuck. Yeah. Makes perfect sense with water power too. Cause like the river's not going to stop. Um, yeah. And like on those big wheels, a lot of times like we grind standing or sitting in front of a grinder. A lot of those guys would grind laying down. Yeah in on top of the wheel yeah. um like a and there's like yeah kind yeah. of or like kind of like on boards and then they would bring dogs in and put dogs on the back of their legs to keep them warm yeah i've seen that picture it's um, crazy. yeah it's crazy so okay so bench grinder modern equivalent of a process that was actually used fully in industry um, yeah the stone the stone wheel the stone grinder. i'm i'm super there there are there are modern makers that are using stone wheels. Um, I think a lot of times they come out of like a Japanese discipline or training. Mm, um, yeah. I want to say Murray Carter mm. has some, like does grinding on stone wheels. Mm. So it's actually, it's like really cool. Um, yeah. And there's a few like modern Japanese makers like outside of kitchen knives that are, yeah. that are doing it too. Yeah. So, so you think know. that's how like a vintage, like 15th century katana, like a Japanese sword would have been made? with a stone uh, like obviously I don't it's forged. Know. no i think that was all essentially handwork oh really file, file oh. scraper stones um yeah well and, and that, it, that's that's something else if we're talking bevels like we're not take we're talking purely stock removal at this point removing mm-hmm. metal if you're forging 
and you are, you know, uh, you have a high level of like efficiency or like technique you can forge a bevel in almost to finish. I mean, people forge to an edge yeah. almost and then sharpen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel like what most people do with the forging side of things is they forge it and they add like 50% of the bevel with the forge right. and right. then they grind the finish of the bevel. So it's like yeah. at the end of the day, they're doing it the same end process, but they're right. arriving in a different way. Yeah. I love, I love the forge to finish stuff to me that yeah. like, I look at it and like, that is, it's so beautiful and shows like such a high level of skill to be mm-hmm. able to like essentially shape the entire knife under a hammer. This yeah. Rad I don't know much about forging. I really don't. I spent a week in or part of a week in Shane Taylor's shop. He's oh, a nice. master smith. Yep. He does. He we made some Damascus and stuff. That was really cool. Um, but I'm not. I'm not super exposed. I, I'm the. I'm the stock removal guy. I'm just one of those like computer dorks that, put you know makes <laughs> square steel into a triangle steel. Like, uh, any means but, necessary, uh, man. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, anyway, now mo- belt mo- grinders. Belt grinder. What is is the king? I mean, right. It's it's in the, the, it's the industrial king. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, you'll even see them in like Benchmade's factory for sharpening. I mean, it's right. all the way from like the guy's first knife you ever made to Microtech to Benchmade to, right. you know, any manufacturer is going to have at least some of those somewhere, not necessarily yeah. to do the bevels, um, but sometimes put a satin finish on a finished knife um, right. or something like that. But yeah, it they're just workhorse machines that yeah. that have even if you went to like, yeah, full CNC grinding or something, there's still a place for a two by 72 grinder yeah, in your shop. Yeah. And as a new maker, it's one of what I consider like the Holy Trinity of knife making, mm-hmm. which is two by 72 belt grinder, drill press and bandsaw. Yep. Like if you have yep. those three tools, you can make a living making mm-hmm. knives. Yep. You know, absolutely. And it's, so, it's like the beating heart. I mean, it's the one thing that I don't even know what it would be like to not have one to try to make it's knives. Crazy. I mean, the, with yeah. the filing and stuff, I mean, it'd be, it's, it's a totally different ball game. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've got a Travis Wirtz TW 90 that does horizontal and vertical, which is really handy and such fantastic grinders. I've, I've got I've one had it to you. Had it for seven years, eight years, yeah. and it's just worked. Like it just yeah. is good that it, and, uh, it's such a cool system. And like, I have people come by all the time, like, Hey, sharpen my lawnmower blades or like my, uh, <laughs> my, I guess it'd be my sister-in-law's dad, whatever that makes him. He he was, he's a uh, veterinary practitioner, like a PhD veterinarian uh-huh. for like equine stuff. And he has to do like tissue samples. And so has these big needles that are like quarter inch diameter. Oh. And I, I was like sharpening all of those for him oh, on my grinder just, just like a week ago. And like, I've just, I feel like I've, I've chamfered like two by fours. We built like yeah. a bunk bed yeah, I do and, that I, too. and like. it just like, pretty much anything that you can imagine putting like a chamfer or a bevel on, you can do it right. on a two, two by 72. Yeah. Well, and Travis's awesome. is like super flexible too, because of the fact that it can go horizontal. So yeah. if you're, if you're going to have one grinder, a machine that has multiple capabilities, which they all do because you can mm-hmm. run contact wheels, you can run flat platens, you can run a flat platen with a work rest, you can run mm-hmm. small wheels. So essentially like all the contouring, like on a knife, like, can be done on one of these machines, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Incredibly valuable. Yeah. And so, like I said, I've, I've ground it. Like there was a, when I first bought the grinder, I, that was really my only tool. The only, I, that was my starting kit. You know, like you said, I had, I did get a bandsaw and a drill press and I made not knives for a few years like that. And it wasn't really like my main staple of my business. It was just something I was also doing and on top of designing knives. 
And I got pretty good at, at grinding with that, but th- we're going to start leading into the part of the conversation where it's like automation and repeatability in the way that I'm doing it mm-hmm. is, is kind of the next step. And I, I, I just found with my personality type and the way that I think like I didn't love grinding bevels on a two by 72, it's fun and rewarding, but then to do it 50 times in a row, like it just didn't, I just couldn't do it. And there was actually like a three year gap where I just didn't make any knives because I needed to get, I wanted to do something different and it just, it wasn't feeding my fire, I guess. Right. You're again, you're process driven and you focus on efficiency. So I think for you, a lot of times, if you see that you're doing something, you're like, this isn't the best way to do it. Yeah. It like, it like takes the, takes the juice out of it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of, it kind of, you know, got to me and I eventually, like I said, kind of put a pause on making knives. And now, um, I guess the next, I haven't thought this through, but I guess the next thing beyond a two by 72 would probably be some form of milling bevels. I actually, I actually think that we're jumping over a step, which is weird, which which one, because for a long time industrially, okay, at least knife making. Well, okay. Yeah, there's two. The, the next step after like grinding on a two by 72 grinder or some type of grinder, there's like different sizes and shapes and six by 48s, but like some type of powered belted grinder Mm -hmm. would be the like truly industrial machines, like the burger grinders, a burger. Yeah. Or a seatman or a seatman. And we're we're talking talking half a million million dollars. dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was you. That's like, you would go to a production facility and that's what they would have. Mm -hmm. Right. Like Boker has one. And it used to be, there was not much in between. Right. There was, Um, the gap was huge. Yeah. So it was like, you were either a custom maker doing a two by 72 thing or even manufacturers. Like, let's say you're like a bussy. It's like, they're probably doing all that on a two set two by 72. Yeah. There was a lot, there was Um, a lot of hand grinding still in production side. Yeah. And so that, yeah, the, the hand grinding was like even reaching into pretty good volume production. And right. then, like you said, there's the bench maids of the world that they've got their seatman or their burger right. and they're running, you know, it's like 45 seconds per side on the bevel and they're just like have an operator loading it. And those are very interesting machines. Um, really complex, obviously for a half a million, you have to be, that's justifiable in some way. There's a lot right. going on there. So um, the midpoint, the midpoint for the maker was essentially a shop that focused on blade grinding. Yeah. Right. So you send them out. Yeah. So you could send out a batch of, if you're going to do like a production run, you could send out a batch of 200 blades and you could have them flat ground, uh, by CNC. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a few, and there's a few people in the United States that do this. Yeah. The seatman and the burger to clarify are CNC machines, right? They are computer controlled servo driven. Like they're doing the motions automatically. Right. Yeah. So it's, we're not talking about some kind of mechanical device there. Obviously it's mechanical, but it's, it's controlled via computer. And so that's where we're hitting a quantum leap of like the two by 72 leaves off. And after that, it's all CNC. Um, in, you know, in terms of moving up in technology and efficiency. Right. Okay. So there's two stages. I got a, I got a futurist, a weird futurist one. Okay. But I also think I have the entry point into kind of where your head is at now, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At a point, as you saw CNC coming more and more into the market, makers were obviously looking at them and going, how can I do a blade bevel 
being mm-hmm. the crux of the knife. How yeah. can I do this? I think one of the first makers that I remember seeing something was RJ Martin. And he had done this thing that looked like, like the, he left the grooves. Like he left, he showed the work, which I always thought was so cool. Ball end mill. You're talking about literally using a CNC mill and a tool that is spherical on the end. Yes. A ball end to remove material and leaving grooves behind that leaving grooves showing like how this was done. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually pretty commonplace now. Like you see other makers mm-hmm. doing it. Yeah. But I think that was, that was like one of the first uses of kind of CNC milling of a blade that I had mm-hmm. seen. Mm-hmm. And then for years, there was a bunch of variations that were like, it's just not quite there. Like essentially yeah. a good machinist would go to make a knife and they would be able to mill the bevels, but the bevels left something to be desired. Yep. Yep. For the most part, and, do you agree? Yeah, no, for sure. And and just to clarify, milling, uh, like from a definitive terminology standpoint, is you're turning a tool that has like a quantifiable, quantifiable amount of cutting edges. So it's like four or five cutting right. edges. And it's cutting, it's rotating and cutting chips of steel, like literally at a microscopic level, cutting pieces. Whereas right. grinding, you can use a mill to grind like a milling machine. It would, but you, it would be, consi- yeah. but it'd be, it's, it wouldn't it's, be considered mill. It's like the cutter definition. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the actual cutter itself is what in my mind defines a mill ver- milling operation versus a grinding operation. I so would, I would agree. A grinding operation involves a, if you can imagine sandpaper or stone, it's like a literal abrasive grit. And right. it's not like a quantifiable number of cutting surfaces. It's like an infinite amount. It's like a million little tiny sharp pieces of diamond right. or silica that are cutting. Whereas a milling tool has like five flutes and it's it's like a drill bit that's machining. And that's right. where you get those ball grooves like you're talking about is like it's cutting a path many times along the blade and what we call in the machining world surfing. So it's like step over, step over, step over. Right. Milling, and you can milling, either milling. have a big step over or a small step over. Yeah. Big step over. Like what RJ Martin was doing back in the day might've been like a quarter inch ball end mill cutting a groove and then like moving over an eighth of an inch. Oh geez. Wow. Like leaving like a visible groove. Right. Yeah. So that yeah. would be like the macro version of a step over all the way down to like, I don't know, you're doing like a thousand step over. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so that's where I'm, I'm doing my bevels right now on the Overland in a, in a, in a system that I really like. I think it's, I'm not going to be able to scale it fully. So I've got other kind of concepts waiting in the wings that we're going to talk about in a bit. But right now I'm milling the bevels with a, what's called a bull nose end mill. So it's not a round ball on the end. It's flat on bottom, but it has like round shoulders and it's milling across. But with, like you mentioned, a really fine step over like tenths of thousands of an inch so that you can't actually see where the mill had traveled. Um, the, the, it's like the uh, resolution is so high that it becomes like a smooth finish. Almost and then I'm also, it. I use a stone, like a literal handheld, uh, s- stone with a given grit. And I stone out the final little tiny artifact of like where that mill had passed. And so there's those little tiny micro tiny steps that you can't really see, but you can feel with like your thumbnail. And then I take a stone and by hand, just remove those little steps. And that's how I do it. And it's, it's, 
it's where some people are going, I think, these days. Um, and me personally, I saw a lot of people who have milled bevels with those grooves. I think it looks cool. Uh, right. But it has to be a very, in my opinion, specific knife to use that because okay. it's like, it seems like to me such a compromise on cutting performance that it only makes sense on like specific things. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, it's like, uh, it's almost like a sculptural element sometimes too. Yeah. I feel like where yeah. you're making a design decision that's not based purely in function. Yeah. Like Les George, he does a, a knife like that. And it's, yep. he, he was an EOD technician, like a demolition expert in the army or Marines. He'd probably yep. be mad that I said army, but yeah. Uh, going to kill you. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I'm about to feel some, uh, ball and mill grooves in my gut, but no, he makes a knife like that. And, uh, he, it makes sense the way the knife that he did it on is he calls it the EOD tool or something like that. And a lot of what EOD guys are doing is actually digging. And right. so the knife is really flat and broad with like a big tonto. And it's like, they're not processing like a, a half piece of beef or something, you know, they're not like right. scaling a fish. They're like digging with a knife. And so they're it's really using thick. a knife incorrectly. Right. Essentially. So it is a knife by definition, yeah. but it is like more of a prying, scraping, digging, destructive yeah. tool. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. For field work in, in the nature right. that they do it. And so that, it's got ball and mill grooves on it. And I think it looks cool. I think it works. Yeah. I think it makes it fits sense. the design, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's, I can see that being application specific, but like I've been making the Overland, which is like, I consider a food prep type application and like a fine woodworking type knife or kindling and such. And sure. it's like, I, I just don't want to add the friction. So I make sure to take it all the way down to where it appears. I believe if you were to look at my knife, you would you could easily assume that it was ground, like on a two by seventy two. A hundred percent. So it, it that looks like goal. a ground blade, which is impressive. And you're also reducing, like, if I go to grind a blade, I'm using multiple grits, and I'm using a belt progression. So I might be mm -hmm. like sixty grit, one twenty, two twenty, four hundred. You know, um, mm -hmm. and I might be going to a scotch bright belt or some other like hand finishing process, something like that. If you're going to a mirror finish, you're going higher, you're going up to 2000 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Your progression right now is three steps, which is amazing because you've got, yeah. you've got milling, hand stoning, and then whatever your final finish is. Yeah. So two yeah. steps really before you have a finished yeah. level. Yeah. Something ready to tumble. Something ready stone to tumble. finish. Yeah. 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 And it's worked really good for me. I've done hundreds of knives that way and it's like, it's working. It works really good. Um, I've, I've got my new machine now that I haven't done bevels on yet. And I'm getting to that point. I'm building the, the fixture probably next week to start doing that. And I'm curious to see taking it to the next level, how that'll go because any kind of chatter at all can appear there. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I was having good luck with the Tormach, but I'm curious with the style if I'll see improvement and what that could be, but I know it's going to be faster. And the reason for that is if I mill the bevel in, in CNC milling or any kind of milling, there's two types of cutting there's climbing and then there's conventional, which is a little confusing. But if you're, if you're imagine spinning the tool, if the tool is spinning clockwise and you're looking down at the part and it's coming along the ed edge of the part, Climbing means it's spinning clockwise and it's also moving in that direction. So if you can imagine like the tire of a car on a road, like it's spinning in the same direction that it's moving. Granted, in with the cutter, it's spinning faster than it's moving. Uh, it's probably a little hard to picture 
through audio, but conventional would I think be the, the wheel, opposite the direction. wheel, like car on like a, like a tire on pavement is like a pretty yeah. good example. Yeah. Whereas the opposite would be like, let's say you're in a car and your tire is spinning backwards and your car is moving forwards because it's being yeah. dragged. You're skidding. That's like, yeah, that you're skidding. Like, so it's like, essentially. yeah. And so long story short, you, for me, I, you generally want to only do climb milling on a CNC. And so I climb means I go one way and I can't just go backwards and go back to the beginning. Right. So I have to lift, move back, drop back in and then climb across again. And obviously with those tiny step overs, I'm getting, it's passing across the blade, you know, hundreds of times. Yeah. Four inches. And yeah. And so every four inch travel back to home to start the next pass is pretty slow on the Tormach. And the new machine is four times faster in what's called the rapid movement. So that means non-cutting, just going through the air. So that air pass returning 300 times per knife or maybe 800 times per knife is going to be way faster. So that's kind of where I'm headed is maximizing the efficiency of milling bevels to the point where you don't know that it's milled where it appears ground. And that's what I'm yeah. trying to accomplish. How you, you right now you're doing flat, like flat, grind. flat grinds. Yeah. Okay. Um, process theoretically works with hollow grinds. Yeah. Yeah. It could, however I design it, it would do whatever that is. And that's another point that. is with milling is like you can, uh, with grinding, let's say on a two by 72, you've got your round wheel or your flat platen, and it's the blade is generally going to assume the shape of the backing behind the belt. It's flat right. or it's round or some right. combination of the two. Yeah. Or con like, and there's ways to create, like you can have a platen with a radius Mm -hmm. And that will give you that'll essentially fake a very large, large wheel. wheel. So you could yeah. have like a 36 inch right. radius platen um, or you could have a slack belt system or something that that allows it to create a convex. Mm -hmm. Right. And so with milling flexibility with milling, there is no confinement of what I the know. shape of the platen is or the wheel. Um, so you could have it be a flat grind for the first quarter inch. And then be a be, uh, a hollow for the next however long, or it could be a parabolic, or it could be. <laughs> yeah. I've even thought about like imagine at the choil area, if it was hollow, but at the tip it was convex, and right. the transition was not a combination grind where there's like a seam. Right. The transition was organic. So like if you look at it in the light, it would be like going from shallow hollow to like shallow convex. Over the and length of the you blade, just completely killed anything that I consider good design. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. not to say like that's a personal preference, but like right. as you were describing it, I was like, I don't like this. Oh yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> eye twitch. Yeah, it's yeah. like that that very fluid. Yeah, we're getting like, oh, is yeah. this a propeller from a plane? Yeah, no, it'd be, yeah, you, a propeller is a good example though. It's, it's like, like, you see that contour. Yeah, it's like, it's like biomechanical almost. Yeah, yeah it's like, it, it's whatever you want. So that's, I do a flat grind because that's what I want, but I could do other things and other knives if I felt like it, but I haven't decided to do that. But I digress. Milling bevels <laughs> is a good way to do it. I think right. technology is getting more and more affordable, especially milling machines in general. Right. And I think a lot of people are milling bevels these days. And I right. think that's uh, like compared to 10 years ago when I started, it was a lot more rare than it is now. Um, and it's, it's common and it, it's a good way to do it, but it takes a lot of R and D, but it's, it's similar to, you know, with grinding, you, you learn the freehand or even jig grinding. The skill takes a long time to develop. 
Yeah. I will say on a CNC, it's probably just as long a learning curve to do it on the CNC. Like I, it's as far as getting the first part off, I don't know that it's any faster than getting somewhat proficient at hand grinding. Well, um, and here's, this ties into something that I think, I don't know, it, it feels very familiar to our industry, which is like, we like to do things ourselves. Right. So yeah, you can just send blades out. If you have a run that's larger than you are going to hand grind by yourself, you can send them out for CNC grinding. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is essentially saying, I want control over this process and taking the time to learn how to do that with the tools that you have in your right. shop. Right. I think for a lot of makers, it's a more interesting process because it's a yeah. personal process. It's done in house. Right. 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 It's not, yeah. it doesn't make it the most efficient, like almost always just outsourcing is going to be yeah. more efficient than doing it yeah. in house. That's not yeah. the reason why we do things in house. And, and that circles, like I said, back to the point that I've made multiple times on this podcast of like, it may rub some people wrong, but I think, the person who puts the bevel on the knife made the knife. Like, oh, that's I, I just, interesting. I just feel that way. Cause it's like, it's, it, I, I'm not dis- discounting. Like if you send out for grinding and yeah. you do a whole batch, but like for me and the way that I feel when I look at a knife, it's like, right. if I didn't do the bevel and it had my logo on it, I would feel like that's fine but it's a production knife that I didn't make that I think that's, that's the distinction. Feel. I think for me yeah. in the past, it was a distinction that was where production or yeah. at the very least mid tech started to come in right at the point right. where you were having a blade ground outside of your own shop. Yeah. That was, I think where a lot of makers were starting to make that distinction. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that bevel is like, like you said, it's, it's the difference between a custom maker and a production knife is like who did the bevel, you know? Right. I wonder generationally how some of this stuff is going to change. Um, cause I was like my generation of makers, we were coming in as some of the older makers were like guys that are my age now, probably mm-hmm. were mm-hmm. starting to like CNC was becoming more of a thing. Yeah. Right. They were like, this is rad. I want to learn how to do this. I can make sweet Mm -hmm. knives on it. Like, yeah. And it was, it was, people were struggling with it because people Mm -hmm. were saying like, it's not custom. It's not handmade. Like we're kind of past that in a lot of ways. Yeah. So what is like, what is the 20 year old maker coming into the industry now seeing that is just going to be totally commonplace Mm -hmm. for them? Can I give them a futurist idea? Okay. It's like a weird half. Okay. Yeah. Instead of milling, okay, imagine grinding by hand, but using a robotic arm. Like a robotic arm on a belt, on a two by 72. So you have your two by 72 or what it could mm. be. It could be a stone. It could be a, a same thing. There's yeah. a, there's a learning curve, right? Yeah. Cause there's yeah. material wear. there's like how many blades could you get out? There's okay. Pressure. But essentially yeah. you are putting a knife into an arm that moves the same way as like a human hand. Okay. And you are programming that motion. Yeah. Did you know that's how (laughs) Leatherman sharpens all their knife blades? I did not, but that they, they have like fanic robots in cages. Sad. It's kind of like a, like a zoo, you know, with like all these 
yellow it's animals like, like doing work in cages yeah but oh, no they man. literally they have like this tumbler and like all these knives like rattle into like their little positions uh-huh. and this robot Robots arm pick is pick, picking them up sharpening them on a two by 72 yep doing the two passes just like a human would yep and it's like sharpening them and it's doing exactly it's not doing the primary bevel right. like the actual but main it bevel but bevel. it actually like it and i'm sure by this point i would guess someone has probably actually done this yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's an efficient thing. I just think like be, for be, a certain type of maker, you're like, yeah, cool. I've got like my robot grinding yeah. a blade. I could see Gavin like, Hawk doing that. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just that, because. Sounds very Gavin Hawkey. <laughs> yeah, it does. I'll have, to, I'll have to ask him if he's thought about that. <laughs> but, oh, man. No, so that's interesting. That is, that is like one thing that is combining the two, which would be like freehand yeah. grinding and CNC yeah. programming. Um, used in a non kind of linear fashion. So here's, here's another category. And this is, this is a category I'm investigating and I'm moving towards. So you have, we've talked about two by 72. We've talked about milling. We've talked about seatmans and burgers that are half a million dollars. And just for perspective, like a milling machine that can do bevels. Like if you're buying like an old Fidal that can do this, I mean, you could be doing that for 10 grand out of pocket. You know what I mean? Like it's possible. So it's like it, the barrier of entry to mill bevels is actually not that high. I mean, I spent like four grand on my TW90. You could probably buy like a used machine for not much more than that. That right. in theory, you could get to mill bevels. So it's not and like if that was all it did. Yeah, it's not that crazy. That is now your your essentially blade yeah. grinder, yeah. right? It's Do we not need, that, is there a different term? Is uh, it like? Well, if it's it's milling though. So it's, it's yeah. still just milling blades, not grinding. So I, mean, I still call it the, the grind mill, because people grind. Yeah. It's, it's like blade it's grind. Like, yeah. But that's just like semantics. I, I know it. it's semantics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, the, is, uh, it, is it beveling or is right. it, is there a term that will come about because of the process? So yeah. is it contouring or beveling or yeah. I say, I say I mill the bevels. And, but when I show someone the knife, like sometimes I'll call it the grind because it's anatomically, it's what people call that part of the knife is the grind. Right. Um, but so, you know, can I throw in a weird one? Yeah. Okay. You know, hand rubbed finishes. Mm -hmm. I hate that term so much. Yeah. It's a grained finish. Yeah. Right. Like in metal work, it's a grained finish. It's a linear Mm -hmm. finish applied. Yeah. The brace with grain, with abrasive. Mm -hmm. I think a grained finish sounds so much better yeah. than a hand rubbed finish. Yeah, I agree. I have put and, it on a few knives. Like I'll say like, this is a grained finish, but it's so commonplace to just yeah. call it a hand rubbed finish. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But that's all. What if, what if it's a robot doing it? Then is it still, hand still a grained finish? Like <laughs> grained works now. It's yeah. yeah. It's ro- Ooh, robot, robot it's, hand rubbed finish. Yeah. It's my fanic finish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but anyway, there's your, like I said, theoretically $10,000 mill that could do a mill on a bevel, a mill the bevels. You've got your $500,000 burger and seatman that are way too big to fit in a normal shop, way too right. expensive to afford in a normal shop. And actually limited in the fact that they basic, I think they might make one that do hollow, but for the most part in industry, it's a flat. Yeah. Yeah. And, but what I'd like to bring up is there's a middle category that's emerging and it's what I'm moving towards. And that is a grinding wheel that is a circular wheel in a mill. So like a CNC mill that 
has a grinding wheel as opposed to a milling cutter. And so it's a hybrid of the two. So it's like you're taking the the grind because long story short is that grinding always leaves a better finish than milling. That's just like the nature of all things CNC and all things in general. Like if you buy bar stock that's round, if it's if it's turned on a lathe, it has a step over. It has if little it's ground, edges. Precision ground. You can, you can if it's precision ground, you could almost like brush your teeth looking in it like a mirror. Like yeah. it's just grinding is always better. Um, and so gr- if you can use a mill and it's like X, Y, Z motion to grind the bevel, that's what people are doing nowadays in, in certain shops. Um, and Chris Reeve, they're totally open about it. As far as I know, that's, that's, they invented that as, they as far pi- as I They can pioneered tell. the process. Well, yeah. in this, I love this because it's, to me, it feels like such a knife maker thing to do. Like mm-hmm. you're essentially using a, piece of technology incorrectly but yep. you're doing yep. that with a knowledge base that is allowing you to go hey i have like this tool and this you know tool and i need this process what can yeah. i do yeah you're like tricking the machine into thinking it's milling but it's actually grinding <laughs> but it's actually grinding yeah yep yeah big props and to it's yeah so what is it 20 years ish 25 years ish yeah. they've been doing that and they pioneered it and it's now spreading out and it's starting right. to become more common and I'm investigating it and I want to try it. Um, the style yep. is going to try to grind a bevel at some point and we're going to see how it goes. But that is the, in the middle ground, like I said, of taking potentially a, let's just be honest, like a $25,000 CNC mill. Yeah. That's, and then putting a tool in it and achieving a ground finish without buying a burger or a seatman. That's that's where I think the industry is going to head, and a I think comparable it's grind, quick. a comparable yeah. grind, and and it's hollow me, or flat, and you that that right there, yeah. that is such a huge distinction. So imagine yeah. that half a million dollar machine could grind both flat and hollow. So mm. you're essentially making your you know thirty thousand dollar mill function like now a three quarter. <laughs> of a million dollar machine yep. or like a half yep. a million dollar machine at base yep. level. Yep. Yep. And so it's because there's so many manufacturers that are in that size range, makers yeah. and manufacturers that they couldn't afford a $500,000 machine, right. but they can definitely afford like a Haas VF2 with a grinding wheel. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's, that's where I want to climb into. Um, yep. and that's, that's what I'm going to be experimenting with. And it's, it's a confluence of a lot of technology and a lot of advancements in the industry. And, I think it's pretty cool and we'll just have to see how it goes. It's pretty neat the way the flow of information goes. I don't know like why I linked this, but just thinking like as a maker kind of coming up or you're like making fixed blades and then like you're starting to do different grinds and you're like looking at other makers who are doing grinds. You're like, man, that's like, I'll always use Ken onion as an example, because like if you were interested in those like big swoopy grinds, like on folders, especially like I just, everybody thinks it can. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. like, recurves and this stuff. progression of trying different things or like going from fixed blade to folder. I'm super excited because I'm actually getting to do some of that again. Like I'm seeing what you're doing with milling blades. <clears throat> and for me, like that's the logical next step, like of grinding. Like I want to, I have to get my CNC skills and my programming skills to a point where now that is as comfortable to me as grinding a blade freehand. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's super exciting. Yeah. It's a wild new frontier. Yeah. Well, and like 20 years into essentially the same craft, like that's one of the beautiful things about what we do. Yeah. Is, I mean, that's crazy. Like all of a sudden there's just like a completely new path Mm -hmm. that is related to what you're doing, but like in a totally different way. A new tunnel of technology opened up or like, yeah, sometimes it's actually different industries that interact with the knife industry because i would argue that 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 cup wheel style grinding in a cnc mill is actually an adaptation from tool makers so right tool makers by that i mean like if you look at the actual they call it an end mill in a cnc machine it's made out of carbide they have to grind that to make it sharp to have the flutes to have the shape that you want and so they have basically cnc mills of some description with grinding wheels in them that grind carbide into that shape. And so this grinding apparatus that they're grinding those tools with is essentially what's being replicated on these knives. Right. And so it's actually like almost a lot of the intellectual property that's being used for this is coming from the tool making industry. And so sometimes there's other neighboring industries that you see like a crack in the wall and you're like, Oh my gosh, they're doing what I'm trying to do. And they've been doing it for 25 years. Right. You know, so, and they're not looking at how they what that process can expand or yeah, how that can be used differently money. or incorrectly or anything else. Yeah. It just takes it takes a knowledge base that's able to link like two processes and go, oh, like if that works there, it could work in this mm-hmm. unrelated process. Yeah. Well, the biggest reason to have like a varied skill set. Grimsmo, for example, he's got the Kern, you know, this crazy three quarter of a million dollar machine that a lot of what it's used for is like optical molds and stuff that's built to make like steel, hardened steel molds for optical lens grinding and stuff. And so um, they grind a lot of things with Kerns because a lot of surfaces that they're achieving, they're achieving with a grinding wheel of some kind. And so he saw that and he wanted to grind the bevels in his kern, which is what he's doing, but he's milling them first and then grinding the last pass. Oh, interesting. Um, and so he's, but his is totally different because he's using a little tiny, like one inch diameter grinding wheel and he's doing like actual step overs with the grinding wheel. Um, and so there's a lot of ways to come at it, but long story short, grinding is going to be a better finish because effectively when I mill my bevels and I stone them, the stoning is like, poor man's grinding right. to like remove the artifacts of the milling. So theoretically, um, if you, if you're doing this grinding process and you're doing it well, it's dialed, mm-hmm. you are eliminating the stoning process at the end. Yeah. yeah That's in theory. One. So in theory. you would probably still, you still have some type of post-processing finish. Yeah. Um, man. So I just, you mentioned Kearns. I had dinner with my friend Keaton Myrick last night. He's a mm-hmm. independent watchmaker. Hmm the watchmaking world to me, like it's, it's insane. If you don't follow him, like definitely look at his feed, but he was explaining like the hydrostatic ways. Oh yeah. And like, so cool, man, like, or like, yeah, not having essentially like not having bearings and how bearings like always create chatter and just like so far past, like in all honesty, like most knife makers need for precision. Yeah, but I fully it's so interesting. I watched a tour of the Kern factory where they were making parts because they were 
Kern was an OEM, so they were making parts for like computer companies right. and they were buying mills. And then they realized that there was no mill that could make the parts they were making. So they made oh, their man. own mill. And so now they sell their mills, but they they still make parts for like computer companies. And so there was a, a shop tour where they're walking through there. I think it was Grimsmo or John Saunders or one of them. And they had made parts that you couldn't see with the naked eye. Like if you had it in your hand, it would be like so small that you wouldn't notice. It's like a flake of like dandruff or something. And so they would put it in like in a like Ziploc bagger, or like between two pieces of tape, almost like a microscope slide. And you would look at it under a lens to see it. And it would have like holes and like little ports and stuff. And you couldn't see it with the naked eye. And they're like drilling these. And they can like engrave human hairs. They'll put a human hair in there and pull it tight. And they'll like write someone's name on the hair. And so it's just, yeah, that's that's a little bit of a tangent. But those (laughs) things are crazy. So crazy. Man. Okay. Well, Anything else around grinding? So you are you are starting to learn this process. The process has been developed. You have not done it. This is no. your next step. You will continue yeah. to do your milling mm. process mm-hmm. for your runs of knives while you are developing a Correct. true yeah. grinding process. And the main barrier is the knife has to be held at a really wild compound angle to do this grinding. Like certain number of degrees along the x-axis and the Mm y-axis and so those fixtures are very difficult to make and so you have to have it all planned out because if you make i'm probably going to have to pay someone with a fifth axis machine to make the fixture and so i want to have everything dialed to where i i at least have a really good shot of that first fixture actually working because if it doesn't then i have to change some angles and have it remade which doesn't sound the beauty like working in fusion or you know SolidWorks beauty is you will be able to essentially proof it. Mm-hmm. You'll have a very good concept of how it's functioning. Yeah. Geometrically, it should be pretty easy to do. Um, yeah. But the there's just a little nuance of like how much grinding wheel engagement. What's the wheel angle relative to the blade? You know, like there's some. Yeah, uh, there's a like, huge learning curve. So I'm going to I'm going to start down that path and just see when, what happens. when are you digging into that? Because you're busy. Yeah, this ties into R and D versus production. Exactly. Okay. Little, little callback to our last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's exactly where I'm at. I've got a bunch of knife steel that I'm working through right now. I'm going to mill all the bevels because, to be honest, I'm not. I'm not really looking for a better result because right. I think my results are actually as good as I want them to be right now. I just want a more efficient, less labor intensive result. So what I'm doing right now is is functional. So I'm going to k- keep doing it. And what I need to do is. I got to get the wheel and get the arbor that matches the wheel, which right. I haven't been able to find off the shelf. So I might actually have to have some sort of custom something interfacing a wheel, a grinding wheel to This is going to sound weird. I had had the idea to use CBN grinding wheels to fit locks. Mm-hmm. Just like a lot of people fit them on a belt grinder. I can do it. That's how I've done it for a long time. But I think there's inefficiencies in it in yeah. that there's yeah. a small amount of flex. So mm-hmm. a CBN wheel is essentially non-friable. It stay, it maintains its shape and yeah. can be like brought back to a perfect shape. Yeah. So I had bought some CBN wheels and I was like, Oh, I wonder if I could like convert this lathe and like build a lock cutting fixture. And I could not find an Arbor and yep. it actually like stopped me in my tracks. I'm like, yeah. it's ridiculous because like someone is going to send us a message and they're like, yeah, this place just has all the Arbors for yeah. CBN wheels. Like yeah. obviously it's something that's available. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's going to take a look. Please tell me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the other thing is those CBN wheels, they don't have, they don't have drive dogs, which a drive dog is like ears on the Arbor that keep it from spinning. And all the shell mill holder style for like a BT 30 for my machine all have drive dogs, which you want because you don't want that thing spinning on the Arbor on accident. Right. And so, so it might be like a modified, like you do a soft jaw to cut like a dog into the backside of your CBN wheel. It's going to be something like that. I wonder if you could, I wonder if you just mounted up to a, like a cat 40 shell mill holder. Like you would get one that is large, maybe larger than your ID soft jaw, your grinding wheel, bore it cut your like yeah. dogs and maybe that's the and the only solution. the only nuance there is you have to have perfection on right. the concentricity or right. if it's slightly out then you have a wobble in your wheel right which is no bueno it's gonna give you like it's essentially like having an errant piece of you know uh 40 grit media in your 220 yeah. grit belt. and it it may just destabilize and the whole thing just comes apart the wheel you know what I mean? Like, it's because it's videoing all this. Yeah. Right. Machine explodes. Yeah, but <laughs> it's like it balance in a rotating assembly is absolutely critical because like you, I mean, in an, an engine in a, on like a, you know, a tool holder, if you look at it, it's got little peck drills around it mm-hmm. because they put it on a balancer and it drills material away to make sure it's balanced because the amount of vibration that can spin up when you have out of balance. So, you, so that's the only thing is I'm a little worried. I don't want to Mickey mouse it and then right. like get it out of balance situation and having put $500 worth of materials into it. And then right. it just starts to vibrate and like ruins my spindle bearings or something. So is it high it, RPM process? Uh, not super high, but the so thing is the diameter it. is pretty large, right. which is just as important as RPM because if you right. start to get more radius, you get more yeah. inertia. So bump, yeah. Bump, bump, bump. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to throw Ooh, a CBN wheel, I, shear a pole stud and throw a whole tool yeah. through the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. My, my brain is starting to like, I'm getting buzzy. That's like yeah, it's no, just a lot of like process thoughts I, where I'm like, yeah. oh. well, I think what I'm going to do is buy a shell mill holder that has a close and oversized Arbor yep. and have it ground to the yep. right Arbor diameter. Ooh, okay. And then, and then all I have to do is mill the dogs into the back of the wheel with some sort of special fixture um, because the dogs aren't that critical of a, of a, you know, milling right. operation cause they're not concentricity right. doesn't come in. Yeah. There. I feel like soft jaws, like aluminum soft yeah. jaws there would be probably yeah. fine. And then I'd be, and then I'd have the wheel and then the fixture. So there's, those are the two main things. And I've thought about also if I can get the grinding wheel on there and then put a hardened blade flat on a, in a vice or something in a soft jaw and start grinding on it just to see what happens, like just do like some skim passes, even right. though it's not a real bevel, like it's not a real product, right? Like just start grinding hardened steel and see like how the machine reacts, what different feeds and speeds matter. Um, am I even in the ballpark as far as like the mass and the spindle of my machine right. and that kind of thing. Um, so I got to approach it for sure. That's coming. Okay. We're starting to get into the deep rain work. I've got a meeting coming up here in a few minutes. Yeah. Do you want to call this one? Yeah, let's call it. All right. Bevels, bevels, bevels. All the bevels. Yep. Crux of the knife. Many yep. ways to do it. Yeah. Do what I'm works. In. Peace. All right. And guys, let us know if there's another way to do bevels that we're not aware of. Yeah. I'd Lasers. I don't know. Yeah. EDM. EDM. I've heard of that. Yeah.
people have done it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. All right, guys, give us a review, uh, share the podcast. Yeah. I don't know. Hit up, hit up your friends and your friends. friends. (laughs) Force your friends to listen to this podcast. Tell your mom, dad, (laughs) confuse everyone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. See you guys next time. All right. Peace. Yeah. Later.